Beyond Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is happening and welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Thursday, July 19th. Some ticket talk and also some big ticket talk helping out Andre and Henry for the upcoming season. This is your boy Matt Shook the host of Locked On Pistons and a sports writer here in the Motor City, covering the NBA for the Detroit News and the Associated Press. Also a Pistons fan and follower my whole life and a sports newspaper reporter all over the country for over a decade as well. Thanks for making us part of your daily routine, especially over the summer. Today we'll be talking about the big ticket, Kevin Garnett, and the report that he'll be helping out a couple of the Pistons post players soon and how that's helped some of the other players in the past. We're also going to address the new ticketing policy announced by the team, along with the Detroit Red Wings in conjunction with Little Caesars Arena ticketing policies that was announced uh, Wednesday, and what that means for fans, particularly those of the older variety. And we'll have some reactions to the from the Raptors, uh, Locked On Raptors host about Wednesday morning's big deal, Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan. I'll also have some, some maybe tweaked and evolved thoughts that I've had about the deal over the last 24 hours as well. Well, we know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And, oh, man, I I resisted staying that until just now. We had the Summer League in Vegas. I feel like I wouldn't be doing my part, my due diligence as a broadcaster, unless I said one time the uh, the cliche. But what the Pistons did get out of Vegas, in addition to confidence about the rookies, Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas, being able to contribute really kind of right away is a commitment from the big ticket to help out. And a report Originally first cited by Mark Stein of the New York Times from Twitter, Stein says, One of the better tales heard in Vegas. The Pistons, I'm told, recently arranged for Kevin Garnett to work with Andre Drummond and Henry Ellenson in one of his signature behind-closed-doors tutoring sessions, unquote. According to Rod Beard of the Detroit News, Garnett worked with the Clippers' big men back when Blake Griffin was there. Seems notable from the reports that Griffin wasn't included on the list of the two people that... uh, that uh, Kevin Garnett will be helping out. However, this could be one of those things where Griffin will eventually be included in this group, um, or maybe the actual sessions won't coincide in a time where Griffin will be in that town where they happen whenever and wherever it is that they take place. I wouldn't read too much into that, but maybe possible that guys like Griffin or maybe Zaza Pachulia or John Luer or others could work out with Garnett as well too. I know if I'm Zaza and Luer, I certainly can see if I can get there too if for nothing else than to get reacquainted into the uh, NBA you know, practice types of schedules if you're John Luer and, and to get uh, accustomed to your new teammates if you're Zaza Pachulia. However, I am not Zaza or Luer, contrary to what you may have heard, so maybe they have their own opinions about this. Garnett worked with Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton and others at Buck Practices early last year. I, I mean, this isn't a huge deal. Uh, I read a story from Matt Velasquez of the Journal Sentinel in Milwaukee on Garnett helping Thon Maker last year. Uh, one of the details was he was throwing basketballs at his back while Maker was shooting free throws, teaching him how to slow his game down a little bit, which is good stuff and okay. But I feel like you know Kevin Garnett is probably just going to be yelling things pretty much. You see him on Area 21 on TV there, and it's, it's entertaining, but I don't feel like sometimes there's a whole lot of insight there. One of those motivator, personal trainer types who might be yelling at you to gain the toughness, and there is a place – in uh, in sports and basketball for that too, but he's one of those former players who's a personality. He's entertaining, but uh, 
nothing really screams coach about him from the outside. Just basically screams are the only things that you can maybe get from him. But it, it can't hurt. And maybe messing with Ellenson a little bit in particular, getting in his face some can't hurt in terms of developing his toughness. Andre Drummond, um, the strange offseason continues for him from what we're reading on on social media and seeing on his Instagram videos. Who knows what's going on there? I, I've said I'm not crazy about him working on his threes. Yeah, sure, extending the range, going to mid-range a little bit. Uh, I'm okay with that, but let's crawl a little bit before we walk. But then we saw on Twitter yesterday that uh, Ellen, or that uh, Dre is dunking on Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. So just in case Mayweather joins the NBA, the Pistons should be all set with uh, Andre Drummond there. But a fascinating offseason for a guy who had his uh, probably his best year as a pro coming off of his second All-Star appearance and now has to probably adapt to game, his game and mold his game a little bit with uh, the addition of Blake Griffin to the Pistons, you know, in a, in a, as a full season and then a new coach in Dwayne Casey who's going to be centered around three-pointers and um you know, we'll see where the big men uh, and, and Griffin and Drummond kind of fall into that, especially given the things that uh, Drummond has worked on in the offseason. you got to believe by now he's had a good long chat with Dwayne Casey about what Casey sees as his role in the Detroit Pistons' new-look offense going forward. And that remains to be seen. We will see what happens there. As far as the relationship, uh, Kevin Garnett played for Dwayne Casey in Minnesota. Those were his final two seasons with the Timberwolves of his first stint. Before he was traded to Boston, Garnett would return to Minnesota to close out his career there as well. 15-time All-Star, 12-time All-Defensive Player, and MVP for one season in the league as well. Uh, One more bit of news to pass along about the Pistons in addition. The additions of uh, Micah Norrie and Tim Grugrich as assistant coaches. That was made official by the team on Thursday afternoon, so welcome to those guys. As it seems like the assistant coach staff of uh, Dwayne Casey has been rounded out. Sidney Lowe, by the way, the main assistant for the Pistons, also has some ties uh, to Kevin Garnett from his time as an assistant coach with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So we know that Sidney Lowe has pretty much been everywhere in the NBA. And Sean Sweeney, the other member of the assistant coaching staff for Dwayne Casey, who was most recently uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks, as was uh, Tim Grugrich, who was who was hired as well. So uh, Micah Norrie comes from Denver, as we've reported before. He spent some time with Dwayne Casey in Toronto as well. Grugrich has been around forever, a former head coach at uh, Pitt where he played. Um, and he was the former lead assistant, which is, I didn't know. This came from the uh, Pistons release uh, today. A former lead assistant at UNLV during the Jerry Tarkanian years with Stacey Ogman, former Piston there, Larry Johnson, and some of the other guys as well. Anderson Hunt, a Detroiter there too. So then uh, Grugrich moved to the NBA. He coached with Casey at Seattle under George Carl when Casey made his NBA debut in the coaching circles after coming over from Japan. Grugrich was also with Casey in Dallas for one season under Rick Carlisle. Uh, Grugrich has been all over the place, like I said, most recently with the Milwaukee Bucks and Jason Kidd last season, and he's been everywhere else in the NBA as well, and now officially a member of the Detroit Pistons coaching staff. But up next, we're going to be talking about the ticketing procedures at Little Caesars Arena, how that's going to change things. Probably not for listeners of this podcast, but I'm going to channel my inner old guy a little bit, which I know everyone loves to hear. But hey, you've heard me talk about advertising, and guess what? We're going to be actively looking for more now that I'm back in Detroit. If your company wants to reach that key demo of men between the ages of 18 to 44, particularly provincial Pistons fans that probably have ties to Metro Detroit and interest in spending their dollars locally, then you should be sponsoring this podcast. 90 
98% men, 80% between the ages of 18 to 44. So a good amount of dedicated listeners. And if you're interested, you should email me at mad underscore shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com to find out more. Yes, sir! All right, now I wanted to talk a little bit about this ticketing policy, and I don't know how to do this, how to share my opinion and share some of my stories without sounding like the oldest man alive, but we're going to go about doing it. And I've read about this and trying to formulate my opinions on exactly what's going on. But the Pistons and Red Wings announced a new ticketing policy on Wednesday. No more paper tickets. You can't print those PDFs out like you did before sometimes and bring them. You have to have use the Ticketmaster app or the Little Caesars Arena app, get the barcode, and get scanned at the games. And I know that myself and a lot of us were already doing this anyway, but I'm a little bit irritated with the the convention that this is now how you have to do this. I'm an older millennial myself, so I get technology, but I'm still old enough where it frustrates me a lot of times. My iPhone, by the way, is now about two years old, so we've gotten to the point where I have to go through every now and then and delete some of the photos, some of the larger audio clips, etc., to preserve some of the space on the cloud to make sure the phone functions as quickly as it possibly can, as well as it possibly can. I get all my podcasts through there. As you would imagine, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, including all the locked on podcasts as well. So that fills up the spaces as well. Sometimes you got to go through all the apps. I got, you know, five screens of apps that I've got to delete some of the ones I don't use sometimes. Some of those ones that are one-offs that you download to use one time. And then you realize a month later, you don't need that one anymore. So I've been putting off the purchasing of a new phone for as long as possible. And like I said, I think I'm up at about the two-year mark now. Um, And this kind of thing won't help that when I'm being told that I need to download the Ticketmaster app. And I think I've had that in the past, and that's probably been one that I deleted. I don't have the Little Caesars app, uh, Little Caesars Arena app right now. Um, And my battery sucks now, too. Any kind of activity is going to drain that throughout the day. Maybe it'll be maybe if I have to download something or or pull up the the barcode right before the game, that might affect it it being dead by the time the game is over. And I want to text someone to meet some friends after the game or something like that. And I'm not, I know I'm not the only one who, hopefully, who is in this boat. You buy the new phone, it's great for one year kind of okay for the next six months after that. But then you see the first signs of it slowing down about the year and a half mark. And then it's kind of an uphill battle from there on out until you succumb and drop the money and whatever the current model of the phone, the Apple has out. Uh, What about walk-up tickets? You know, a lot of times Comerica Park, you you don't buy, uh, maybe this in my younger days, you didn't buy the tickets before the game. You just figured, you know, it's not going to be a sellout. The team's not very good right now for the Tigers. So, Maybe you just figure you're going to buy the cheapest ticket that they have available when you walk up. I mean, will you still be able to get those if you walk up on game day? And certainly we've seen the crowds for Red Wings and Pistons games. Um, there are games that you can, you know, not the not the premium games, not the home opener, but there are games that you can walk up and expect to be able to get tickets on game day. Would those be handed to you as paper tickets? It sounds like there will be some paper tickets available still because in the press release they said, you know, if you don't have a smartphone, you can still call the ticket office and make arrangements or come to the box office on game day and make arrangements. I don't know exactly what those arrangements would quite be other than probably just being handed 
a limited supply of paper tickets that you could still uh, squeeze through on one of the entrances or something like that. So I'm assuming there's some kind of backup plan for, first of all, the walk-ups, and second of all, the uh, the older folks or whoever doesn't have a smartphone or maybe you busted yours the day before the game or something like that. Plus, a lot of fans aren't going to be realizing that this is the procedure now until they get to the game. So you show up and maybe you have to download the app right there. And we've all been to games where as a member of the media or as a fan myself, you get to Ford Field, they say they have good Wi-Fi. They say they've upped the Wi-Fi there. But it's hard to get signal at games, even you know, internet notwithstanding. So especially uh, from working, I know like you're posting photos from your, your phone on Twitter. Um, a lot of times it doesn't work right away. Um, one of the examples where kind of maybe the idea is good, but the execution is flawed in terms of the in-game um, Wi-Fi, you know, sometimes they, 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 all the stadiums around the league are touting when you build a new one that the Wi-Fi here is really good for fans. But, um, a lot of times you need that signal. You gotta get the signal to get the Wi-Fi. So if you're like me also over the years, um, and a lot of this is, is way back when 20, even 30 years ago, you've had plenty of bad experiences with Ticketmaster, whether it's in person, you go to Harmony House and stand in line for tickets like we used to do, or uh, the site crashes online when the concert tickets go on sale at 10 a.m. I'm sure many of you have been in the same boat that I have there. For, for Springsteen, he's out in Broadway now doing that long run of shows. Uh, I've talked about how I'm a huge Springsteen guy on the on the show before. They did the verified fan thing, which I believe was the first time they have did this. So you could get a code to buy the tickets, and they're trying to, to, to keep the tickets off of the secondary markets and having the fans kind of get verified that they are a real human person that um, that has gone through a couple of steps so they can purchase the tickets beforehand. Well, they were up there, up on the secondary market right away, even though they did this verified fan process. And for me, it was it was months into the run of shows before I even had the opportunity to buy tickets for the Broadway show. It was kind of a mess. And if you go on Twitter and search Bruce uh, Springsteen verified fan, you'll see people complaining uh, all over the world about how that that went. And I'm sure that it wasn't as bad as people made it sound, but certainly there were some kinks that they were working out. It was a new system there. And still, here's an example. And again, I'm definitely less technologically savvy than many of you listeners, probably most of you, which is sad because I'm sitting here hosting a podcast right now. But I bought Mopop tickets recently, the uh, the Detroit all, the music fest- festival that's pretty new. I've never been to it, actually, so I'm going to it um, next weekend. It's like in nine days. should be a good time. I bought the weekend pass a few months back when I was uh, still living in Chicago. Bonnie Vare, um, Vince Staples, the national Portugal man. This should be a good weekend of shows, and I encourage you to check it out if you haven't heard about it or gotten your tickets yet. But anyways, I knew when I bought the tickets, even at the time, that I might need to sell a ticket or both tickets as it got closer because I wasn't sure what my schedule was going to be looking like. And I wasn't sure, and this is me being an idiot, I wasn't sure what the relationship would be between the vendor I was buying from and uh, the mobile ticket option that they had and uh, you know, possibly getting them on StubHub or SeatGeek after that. So I had paper tickets mailed, and I didn't have a local address at the time because, like I said, a few months ago, still in Chicago. So I had them mailed to my parents' house, and that was a mistake. Probably shouldn't have just gotten the mobile tickets. would have been fine, but I choked at the time and did the easiest possible option. Anyways, it turns out that I, do, I did need to sell the Saturday ticket. I'll be covering the Tigers game a week from Saturday for AP. So I went on StubHub, and I sold it. 
but I had to uh, to print a label when you sell it on, on StubHub. Just like if you've ever sold, uh, you know about this. And I don't if you're if you've ever sold and you have paper tickets that you have to actually mail. And I don't have a printer, so I don't know if anyone has a printer out there at your office. You probably do, but I don't have an office right now, so. I had to go to the UPS store, and it was fine. Cost $0.35 cents to send and print that label. No big deal. Guy was really helpful. All good. And I got my money from StubHub. But And by the way, Mary and Traverse City, I hope you have a great time at the show on Saturday. And thanks for listening, random uh, StubHub buyer who's probably actually not listening. But anyway, these things are all a process. And I know, again, I know I sounded like a 70,000-year-old a man right now. Another one that's kind of ticketing uh, controversies and, and, and difficulties on the Reddit Pistons board, uh, kind of an ongoing thread they had dur- during the season this year, there was a long discussion about someone who had sold a piston or had, had bought a ticket, Pistons ticket from a third party system and it wasn't delivered to the buyer. I don't remember the particulars. The seller got paid and I think the buyer made some sort of minor error that screwed the process up and they ended up not getting the ticket. And then there was this long back and forth with phone calls and emails between the two parties. It was and it turned into this long philosophical debate afterwards about should the seller do this or was he being a jerk or whatever it was. The Reddit posters who listen to this show will know what I'm talking about there. But my point is that ticketing is often a fiasco and there aren't any good answers right now and i know that security is a large part of this too if you are downloading the if you're putting your information into the Ticketmaster app or the little caesars app there's probably ways that they're monitoring who's getting into the stadium obviously we know with terrorism situations and security reasons that as much information that people have about the people going into arenas and stadiums can only benefit uh, law enforcement and uh, security at the events and whatnot too. And I know that that plays a part in all this as well, but giving people different options, however they go want to go about it. If there's someone like me who hasn't quite figured out phones and technology, but as many options as possible is a good thing. And for the Pistons and Ticketmaster to come in and say that this is the only way that you'll be able to do it, it is an issue. So let me know what you think about that. Uh, other than my being a dinosaur, I know that. You don't have to, to to hammer that point home to me. But let me know what you think about these ticketing procedures. If you have any horror stories or problems with this, or if, or if I'm just being simple and uh, being a, an old person with this and that there will be no issues, maybe I'm completely way off base. But let me know what you guys think about this. Reach out to me on social media, Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that on Twitter. You know about the uh, the Facebook page as well. Give us a like on Locked on Pistons dash Matt Shook and uh, let me know on the Facebook page what you think or send me an email, Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com. Let me know what you think. But uh, uh, coming up next, we're going to hear from some of the parties from the Kawhi Leonard trade. And also one of the parties that wasn't involved in the Kawhi Leonard trade is Marcus Smart re-signed with the Boston Celtics. We'll hear from the Locked On hosts about those deals here. As uh, one of our strengths about the Locked On Pistons podcast and the Locked On Network in general, we can get the local experts to talk about that. Quick turnaround on those. We've got you covered here on the Locked On Network, your team every day. Hey, what's up? It's Sean Woodley, the host of Locked on Raptors, and holy crap, the Raptors have traded for Kawhi Leonard, uh, a deal that sends DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertl, and a first-round pick protected in 2019, uh, 1 through 20, to the Spurs for Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. 
And this is obviously very big. <laughs> the Raptors are making an enormous gamble with this move. Uh, the Raptors have been sort of fancying themselves a real relevant franchise for the last few seasons after being absolutely irrelevant for 20 plus years. And this is them taking a bet with Masai Ujiri leading those charge that they are going to be able to keep Kawhi Leonard beyond next season. And even if they don't, there are reasons why this works out for the Raptors as well. Um, but the, overall, this is a bet by the Raptors that they can keep Kawhi Leonard around and convince him that this is the place that he wants to be for his next contract, even though he has said all along that he wants to go to LA uh, with when he becomes a free agent at the end of 2019. So we'll see about that, but the Raptors are betting big here. Uh, this is a big deal for the Raptors because, you know, they're moving on from DeMar DeRozan, who is a franchise cornerstone. I have vouched that he should have his jersey retired and have a statue built tomorrow. He is, uh, you know, I know people kind of around the league view him maybe with, you know, not the most high praise or whatever, but DeMar DeRozan is a legend in Toronto. He's a self-made all-star who went from being just like a pretty much a slasher and a dunker into being a fully well-rounded offensive player who, you know, he had his flaws, of course, and his flaws are eventually, I think, what led to him being dealt because his flaws are essentially what were the downfall of the Raptors in the playoffs the last few seasons, you know, against the Cavs this year when they got swept for the second time in a row against them. He was benched in game three uh, down the stretch as the Raptors made a big comeback. He got ejected from game four, and that's kind of sad that his last moment with the Raptors is either a, a benching in the in game three or an ejection in the game four after playing so poorly because... He's an all-time Raptor. He will have his number retired, and I can't imagine a bigger ovation than the one he will get when he returns to Toronto with the Spurs next season. But overall, this is a great deal for the Raptors. It's a big gamble, of course, but it does a couple things. First of all, they give up Jakob Pertl, who is not OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam. That is a big deal. OG and Pascal, I think, are the two highest upside prospects on the team, and I was convinced that one of those guys was going to be heading to San Antonio in a Kawhi Leonard trade. That is not the case. They are both here for whatever happens after Kawhi Leonard's first season with the Raptors, whether or not he stays. You know, those guys are going to be here long term, and that is a big win for the Raptors. They're towing the line here a little bit with this bet. Uh, also, it kind of frees up some money going forward. If Kawhi ends up leaving and DeMar is no longer on the books, the Raptors are sitting there with a lot of flexibility, a ton of open money where they can take on contracts, attach the assets to sort of recoup some of what they've given up in order to get Kawhi and over the last couple of seasons as they've, as they've been in kind of win now mode. And they can pivot quickly to a rebuild. They can move off Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka who will be expiring contracts at the end of this season. And they can sort of re reset a little bit, a rebuild that was probably coming anyway in theory. This move might expedite that a little bit and maybe make it a, a one year from now they do a rebuild instead of two or three. And it kind of gives the Raptors a very easy pivot point to get out of this era and into something new. And I think that's good. I think that's a nice thing to have as opposed to sort of hanging on too long and doing the thing that say the Hawks have done, or maybe the, the Grizzlies are about to do where they don't quite accept that they have to rebuild and they kind of let it drag out and they don't get max value for their guys. The Raptors have a clear pivot point, And if it doesn't work this, this year with Kawhi Leonard and he moves on, the Raptors can easily go into some sort of new era where they're building around OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, DeLon Wright, uh, and, and these guys who were really good this season, maybe not star players or franchise cornerstones in the future, but they're nice players to have. And then that'll be the next era of the Raptors. But considering where they're at, considering sort of how they got a little bit stale with the fan base the last few seasons, considering just all of the, the pressures on Masai Ujiri to make a big move to try to get a superstar on this team. This is not a team that's going to sign a free agent superstar. This is a team that has to trade for one. And, you know, considering their assets, considering that they would have been outgunned for a regular superstar by teams like Boston and Philly, it makes sense that the Raptors did this trade to get a guy who, in Kawhi Leonard, who is a 
top five player, an MVP candidate when he's healthy and playing uh, to get him on the team. You know, this is the best way for the Raptors to go about this. And if they can keep him beyond this year, it is an absolute grand slam of a deal for the Raptors. I have a lot more on this deal, all the different ramifications of it uh, on Lockdown Raptors. So please check it out on the iTunes feed. And uh, thank you for listening. John Corral is here from Locked On Celtics. Marcus Smart has agreed to a four-year deal, $52 million to return to the Boston Celtics. Might seem like a little bit more than the market dictated, but it was about what Boston offered in an extension prior to the season. So this is about where they valued him. It's less than Marcus Smart wanted, so it's a good deal for all sides. Basically for Marcus Smart, once Atlanta did the Jeremy Lin deal, Chicago did the Parker deal, and Sacramento clearly was not into overpaying for him to lure him away as a restricted free agent, things started to point to a return. The question was, would it be a qualifying offer signing or some sort of longer-term deal? And once the Kawhi Leonard deal was done with Toronto and there wasn't any sort of potential trade between Boston and San Antonio, this deal got done quickly. For Marcus Smart, he is a unique player with unique value to the Boston Celtics. He can guard one through five for them. We've seen him switch onto fives and hold his ground when they try to post him up. So the Celtics value him in their highly switchable defense. He is a key player in their defensive scheme. So I know Marcus Smart is excited to be back in Boston. The Celtics, Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge, have said they wanted him back. They are excited to have him back. But this is also, a key point here, a tradable contract for the Boston Celtics. They didn't have on their books a deal in that 12 to $13 million range that they could use in a superstar-type trade to match salaries. So having Marcus Smart at that number over the next four years gives them that one player who has value that teams may want and has a good tradable contract that they could throw in with maybe some of their younger players and picks to facilitate a bigger deal. So there is, on a team-building perspective, a, a value to Danny Ainge to giving Marcus Smart that kind of money. So even if you think it might be an overpay, there is significant value to the Celtics front office to have that kind of contract on the books. It's also interesting to see how they will structure this contract. There has been some buzz about them giving him a front-loaded contract that descends in value over time because they will need to avoid the repeater tax. They have not been a taxpayer until this upcoming season, most likely. So they will probably try to structure this contract Weirdly, so they can avoid the tax in one of the upcoming two or three years to push off a potential repeater tax for as long as they possibly can. For Marcus Smart, though, four years to return to Boston is a good thing, and the Celtics are running it back. They are going to basically bring back everybody except for a couple of guys around the fringes, which is essentially what Danny Ainge said he would do. So Marcus Smart returns four years, $52 million. Celtics set to go for the upcoming season. Thanks to those guys, John Corrales and Sean Woodley from Lockdown Raptors and Lockdown Celtics talking about Marcus Smart and Kawhi Leonard, a couple of the big news from the NBA these last couple days. But this will be the last uh, episode for the week. Hope you guys, unless something big happens in these next day or so, but I'm heading up north to go golfing all weekend and uh, appreciate you guys listening. And we will have plenty more for the rest of the summer starting early next week. And I want to thank you guys for listening to the Lockdown Pistons Podcast. This is your host, Matt Shook, and enjoy the weekend, everyone.